Well, as you saw as we started the service, a little recap of last week's festivities for those of you who couldn't join us. We hate that we missed you. For those of you that did join us, thanks so much for making it an incredible 4th of July celebration and event here at Lakeside. That morning, I was finishing some prep and getting some things ready, and I was moving along. And, and sometimes when I'm working, I just get in tunnel vision, and I can only focus on, on one thing. So maybe even you've seen me on a Sunday morning and, and said hi, and I've walked right past you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a diva or, or prima donna or anything. It's just I'm, I'm like focused on something. And uh, Brooke and I, my, my wife, she had to it was a learning curve as, as we got married, and she's like, why are you ignoring me? And I'm like, I legit didn't hear you. I'm, I'm just so focused on something, and um, it, so it's just a process. But I was, I was focused on something that was coming up that morning, I had to run and grab something. I run back into the office, and the clock in the office said 10.30, and I'm like, there's no way it's 10.30. And I started panicking uh, because the event started at 11.00. And I thought it was 9.30, not 10.30. And then I run into my office like, how did I lose an entire hour? Did I pass out and not realize it? What is happening? And I, after the momentary panic, I look at my clock and it says 9.30. And I'm like, well played, Scott. Well played. <laughs> Scott's our business manager. And one of the rules here at Lakeside is we love to have fun. We, we deal with things that, that are really serious and really heavy a lot of times. So we just have a culture where we love to have fun. And if you can't laugh at yourself, you're not going to last at Lakeside. We just love to have a good time at our own expense a lot of times. And I'm thinking, Scott just pranked me, and this is epic. But I worked in student ministry for four years. And if I learned anything from working with students, it is never sell a prank. Never let the person who's pranking you see the reaction, because all that does is encourage more pranks to follow. And I learned this, I learned this really earlier in life, but it was really solidified working with students. I grew up at a time which was much more innocent. We could go to Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning in ski masks and buy over 300 rolls of toilet paper, and only one time did a cashier ask us what we were doing. And we just said grandma made chili, and she still sold us the toilet paper. And then we went out in ski masks, ran through strangers' backyards, and just decorated their houses, not strangers' houses, but decorated friends' and foes' houses in toilet paper. And then we would leave, and nobody thought anything of it. But as word would trickle out, because your friends aren't always trustworthy, and sometimes they would brag about what was done, then retaliation would happen, and I would be the guy that would get up on a Saturday morning in high school at 6 a.m. and clean up my yard, not because I was a great son, but because I knew my parents were going to leave it sitting there for me anyways, and I wanted to make sure it was all gone by the time the person who toilet papered the house would drive by being like, ah, ah, look what we did, and then there would be nothing. It ruins, it ruins the whole prank. So the important point in life is never sell it when somebody pranks you. Well, Scott, in protest of me canceling the donuts last week because we were grilling out and he thought we should have donuts there on Sunday morning like we have donuts every Sunday morning now, brought in one donut and he sat it on my desk after he took a bite out of it. <laughs> it was for him. I just, I, I, had to, I, I had to have him go do something. It's not like he was just leaving it there. So I opened up his bag and took a bite out of the other end of the donut and just put the donut softly back in his bag and folded it back up. That was going to be my only response to the clock prank. A couple of minutes later, Derek walks in the office and goes, Whoa, it's 10.35! And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. Ask Scott about that. And so Scott comes back in the office, and Derek's like, What's going on with the clock? And Scott's like, I have no idea. 
And I'm like, either this man's a really convincing liar, which frightens me a little bit, or he legitimately has no idea what's going on. And that's where we discovered that Scott hadn't changed the time on the clock, <laughs> but that the battery in the clock was going bad. And I had taken a bite out of an innocent man's donut. <laughs> and I felt bad about that for about three seconds. And then the guilt was washed away, and it was all gone. You know, normally in life, when our mouths get us in trouble, it's not because we take bites out of innocent people's donuts. Normally, it's because of words we speak. And maybe you're thinking, well, this is just a new phenomenon in the Twitter age and social media, and I'm here to inform you, it's not. There's nothing new under the sun. And words that people speak, getting them in trouble, has been around since the beginning of creation. If you have your phones or your tablets or your Bibles with you this morning, I'd encourage you to join us in James chapter 3 as we continue our look at the book of James. And this morning we're going to see the power, the power of the tongue. And just, just how incredible it is. And the warning that comes along with it. We're continuing our look at the book of James this morning, so please follow along with us. James 3, beginning in verse 1, we read this warning from James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a warning for people not to be eager to be influencers, especially in terms of presenting Scripture. This is a warning that says, don't, don't be quick to present yourself as a teacher. And this, is, this flies in the face of our culture where everybody wants to be an influencer and everybody wants to have the social media following and everybody wants to weigh in on everything. This is a very countercultural argument, but what he's saying is understand this. For those of you who are called to teach, for those of you who God gives this calling to in your life, understand what you're signing up for. Understand that you are going to be judged with greater strictness. There's going to be a greater microscope on your life, both in this realm and in the realm to come, and we've seen it sadly in, in society and in the Christian culture in the last few years of one high-profile leader after another who's made some horrible choices, who've made some terrible decisions, and we've seen God's judgment and, and those things being revealed but we also know that one day we will all stand before God and give an account. And James is just warning us here. He's saying, don't be quick. Don't be quick to hop in and be a teacher. Understand that there needs to be some sobriety that comes with this. And you need to really analyze yourself and understand what you're signing up for. That you are going to be held to a higher standard. You are going to be held to a higher regard. And that you will give an account before God one day for everything you say and everything you do. And then he goes on in the start of verse 2 and he writes, for we all stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. So with this understanding that we have to be sober about the fact that we shouldn't just launch into it, the reason that we should be hesitant about doing this is because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. Every single one of us is messed up in some way and in some regard. None of us are perfect. It means it's everyone. 
So with that understanding, be cautious. Be cautious, because no one's perfect. He goes on, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If you never have regrets about what you say, you're perfect. We're not even talking about what you do. He's saying if you never have regrets in what you say, you're perfect. See, this is a universal problem. Every single one of us in our lives has let something slip out of our mouths that we're like, hmm, would like that one back. And sometimes we remember that because it was, a, it was a seminal moment. Sometimes it ruined a relationship. Every single one of us has those regrets. Some of you may have those regrets hourly. Some of you, it's been years since you can point back to that regret. But there is not a person who's alive that cannot think back at a point in their life and say, that was a defining moment. That was a defining conversation. And even if, even if what was discussed in the conversation was true, the delivery is something you regret. Every single one of us has those regrets in our lives. There is not a single individual who can look back in, in the wholeness of our life and say, I've never regretted anything I've said. Never regretted anything I've said. So this is a universal problem. James introduces this idea that if anybody is able to, to go through life and never stumble with what they say, that they've got, their, they've got all of themselves under control. It's like a horse bridle. The bridle's the headgear of a horse. And it just it controls the direction that the horse goes in. And James says, if you, if you don't have any regrets about the things that you say, your life is headed in the perfect direction, like the headgear on a horse. But he goes on. He goes on talking about this analogy now that he's introduced the idea of the brittle. He says, we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they, will, so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now for those of you who aren't equestrians, the bit is the piece that goes in the horse's mouth. And that, that puts, puts different sensations on different parts of the horse's mouth. And that lets the horse know exactly the direction that the rider wants to take it. It's an incredibly small piece of equipment to manage the entire direction of the horse. And yet it's effective. And then James doubles down on his argument and he says, look at massive boats. Look at the ships that just blow your minds when you see them. How large and majestic they are. And yet, for as grand a design as they possess, how a small mechanism controls the direction the ship will go. The same is true of our mouths. The same is true of the words we say. The words we speak will in many ways dictate the outcomes of our lives. And then taking this argument even a step further, James continues. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. That out of everything that our bodies are comprised of, it is our mouths that will dictate and determine the direction in which the course of our lives go. And an entire forest can be burnt down with a spark. With a spark. All it takes is a match and the right weather conditions. And, and we've seen, we've seen just the incredible destruction that comes about. People must have, they, they have to evacuate their homes. Crews are called in on helicopters and, and crews come in and they cut down thousands of acres of trees and they drop all kinds of things on these forest fires that produce incredible heat and they're started with just a spark. With just a spark. Think back to the biggest arguments in your life and how are most of them produced? With a spark. Of a word or a phrase. And then the wind of turmoil. And the dryness of conflict are right there. And they take over. And your entire world is on fire. All because of a misguided word or misguided phrase. Sometimes that you feel deep into your core. And sometimes something you just vent in frustration. See, the incredibly dangerous thing about the age in which we live now is it used to be you could go to a person whom you offended. And you could apologize and you could try to be reconciled. But now, so much of our dialogue is no longer between individuals. Now, so much of our dialogue is produced for the world to consume. And what's sick is we, we put ourselves in this situation. And what's even worse is as more and more studies are coming out about the damage of social media, especially on young brains, the people that will do anything for the dopamine hit of a like or a share. And how that's re literally rewiring the brains of our kids. It's fascinating. You think back a couple years ago to where prominent athletes who were selected to an all-star game were being confronted with tweets that they made at the time that they were 14 years old. 14. Did you ever say anything when, stupid when you were 14? I mean, I didn't. That's why I'm asking. Did you? Because I wouldn't know what that's like. <laughs> I mean, consider that. The people are being confronted years later for things that they said when they were 14 years old. And again, we saw it on display this week in the sports world. 
and all the excitement of the Bucks going to the NBA Finals and thoughts and prayers for them because it's been a rough first couple games. Let's get it together. There was a really big news story that Rachel Nichols, who covers the NBA for ESPN, was caught last year on a conference call with somebody discussing another analyst from ESPN and suggesting that she was given her job because of her race. Now, I don't know what Rachel Nichols really feels and what Rachel Nichols really believes. I know I'm a little frightened to live in a society where a private conversation can be recorded and then emanated, and that's just viewed as okay. What I do know is that the content of that conversation will shape the rest of Rachel Nichols' career and the rest of her life. And her career may go forward without any trouble, but for the rest of history, or as long as Wikipedia is around, when you go to her Wikipedia page, there will be a section called the Rachel Nichols Controversy. And it will be dedicated to a comment she made to an advisor when she was not where she was being recorded. We can begrudge that. We can bemoan it. The reality is, that's our society. That's the age in which we live. And this must force us all to realize that we have to be incredibly cautious, incredibly cautious about the words we speak. Because we live in a time where nothing can be erased from the internet forever. And everything you say, whether you even realize it's a public forum or not, everything you say, can be heard. It's not that we have a new issue with words having the potential to be damaging. It's just that they can be more further reaching than ever before. That's why a tweet is never just a tweet, and an email is never just an email. And as people who love and follow Jesus, I think we need to do a better job of setting the tone and being people who are, who are instruments of grace and forgiveness and, and being people who reject this notion that, that a misguided phrase or misguided sentence here or there or even something somebody meant when they tweeted it at 14 years old should define the course of their life. And we need to set the tone and being people who are full of grace and understanding, but we also need to be understanding that the world is not going to extend that same grace and that same understanding. And so all the more reason for those of us who love and follow Jesus to take account of every word we speak and realize the damage and the power that is available from what we say. James goes on. 
And he says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying, look, look around you. Every animal, every beast, everything in this world can be tamed except the words you speak. Everything can be tamed except the words you say. And now we take it to yet another level. Not just about its danger, but about its implications for those of us who love Jesus. With it, verse 9 says, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He's displaying the dichotomy here. On one hand, we use our mouths to bless God, to worship God, to cry out to God, to exalt God, to share about the great things that God has done in our lives. We do those things with our mouths, and those are all fantastic things. They're great things. They bring God pleasure. And yet, with the same mouth, the same very mouth, we curse others who are made in the image of the God that we worship. And he's saying this can't be. This can't be. We can't have it both ways. But you don't know what this... No, 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 no. But you, Brian, you don't know the story. That's, that's not the point. I understand that people have hurt you. I understand that people have done you dirty. I understand that people have wronged you doesn't give you a license. Understand that some people make some really horrible decisions. It doesn't give you the license. He's saying this idea that we can praise God on one hand and then curse the very people that God has made on the other hand, it makes no sense. It can't be like this. And then he really hammers the point home by asking this question. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, maybe you're scratching your head a little bit this morning. And saying, but why does God care so much? Why does God care so much? They're just words. They're just words. Why does God care so much about just words? Aren't there bigger problems in the world for, for God to be addressing than the words that somebody says? Or how we speak? Why? Why the big deal? It's just a tweet. It's just a Facebook post. It's just an insult. It's, 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 they're just words. They don't really, they're meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Why, why does this matter so much? And maybe, maybe you've said that. Maybe when you lose your temper. 
Maybe when you fly off the handle. Maybe in a fit of anger, you're, you say something. that whew, You're in the doghouse for a while. And you go back to maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe your boss, maybe your neighbor, whoever it might be, and say, I just, I just lost my mind. I'm sorry. Sometimes I just, I just lose my cool. picture that scripture paints for us is that it's never just words. Is that it's never just words. Jesus in Luke 6.45 said this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, the reason that God cares so much about the words that we say because the words that we say Reveal what we really feel. The words that we say reveal what we really think. The words that we say reveal what we really desire. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not that God cares just because they're words. The reason that God cares is because he cares about the wholeness of every single one of us. And God understands that it's never just words, but that the words are always revealing something that's bigger and something that's greater. Our hearts. So what do we do with all this? As people who love Jesus, do we just go around and not talk? Well, some of you do that. I mean, you're, you're introverts to the core, and you're just like, well, I'm not going to say anything. Then they won't know. I mean, that's one strategy, but that doesn't really affect the heart strategy. And even the most introverted person ever still has an outlet whether it's a spouse or a friend, a diary, an online presence. So you're still communicating. So what do we do with all this? I want to encourage you, especially on digital formats, write your positives, but speak your negatives. Write your positives, but speak your negatives. Don't try to solve great problems and conflicts via email. I know it might be more convenient at time, but the misunderstanding level that can come from reading something and from writing something is much greater than from having a conversation. Write the positive, send the positive, make it so that it's in tangible form that people can read and reread and let them know that you celebrate them and you're excited about them. But speak the negatives. Let them hear the concern in your voice. It's best to have a face-to-face conversation if it's going to be something negative. I know that's not always possible. Sometimes family and, and friends live miles apart, and that's not, that's not always 
the, the best solution. And I know with, with FaceTime, that, that's become a little easier, but half the time on FaceTime, the other person doesn't know what they're doing, so you're trying to have a heartfelt conversation with their nostrils, and you're like, ooh, trim the nose hairs, and, and you know, all, all that good time. So if you can, in, in person's the best solution when you're having to have conversations that are tough. But never do that. Never do that on a digital platform or in, in writing. If somebody just tears you apart in, in email and you feel like you really need to respond, then I'd encourage you, disable your internet connection. Respond to their email in a separate, in a separate format. Don't do it on the web browser. Do it in Word or, or Pages on your Apple device. And then write your response. And then read your response. And then delete your response. And then respond to their email. Hey, I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's talk. Write your positives. Speak your negatives. As people who love and follow Jesus, we have to remember... It's never just words. And maybe you fly off the handle and you say some things that you later have to go back and apologize for. Understand, there's a greater issue there than just what you're saying. And you need to analyze your heart. And you need to ask, why did this come to the surface, come to the surface in this situation? Why was this my response to you? Do I feel that way about you? Is there that source of frustration in our relationship that it got to this level? And if so, what, what is that? And then go and have the conversation with the person. Next is understand we live in an age where everybody has a recording device on them at all times. And I'm not saying it's okay to be secretly recorded. That is, a, that is a major violation of trust. But understand, it's possible. That's just the reality in which we live. I'm not saying it's right, but it's real. And you need to be knowledgeable of that. And then lastly, as people who love and follow Jesus and have experienced grace and forgiveness and redemption and mercy, let's make sure that we offer the same to people. Let's make sure that we're not the people who are banging the drum to have people canceled because of something they tweeted out years and years and years ago. It doesn't mean that we have to like what they tweet out. It doesn't mean we have to agree with it. But let's remember, we've all said some stupid things in our lives. Some of us more than others. But we've all said some really dumb things. And as people who've experienced grace, let's make sure we're the first to offer it. And we show the love of Jesus to people in that way. That we don't let a tweet or a moment captured on video define someone's entire existence. But even understanding if they tweeted out the most horrific of things, 
while we don't have to agree with it and we don't have to like it and we don't celebrate it certainly, God still loves them. And our job as people who follow Jesus is to point them to that love of Christ. God, I pray that we would be people who understand just how powerful our words can be. Lord, we live in a culture and a society where people are recorded constantly. And everything said can be analyzed. I pray, God, as people who love and follow you, that we would realize that it's always more than words. Lord, if we're flying off the handle, if we're quick to insult, we need to look at our lives and see what's there. I'll give that to you. I pray, God, that we would be quick to compliment, and I pray that we would have the tough conversations, but God, we'd do so in ways that honor you. Pray that we'd be slow to anger, slow to respond in those moments. And when we need to respond, that we would do so in a mature fashion. Pray, God, that we'd be quick to offer grace and forgiveness. And God, as we all look back to moments in our lives where we have regret about things we've said, let us celebrate all anew your grace and your forgiveness even at our worst, you gave us your best. And you love us, Jesus. And it's in that grace we rest. And in your name we pray. Amen.